Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this week we're here to talk about uh, Season 2, Episode 4 of Farscape. Crackers don't matter. This is an episode you've been talking up for a really long time. Yeah, this is a... This is a really significant episode. This is the first appearance of a fairly major character. Wait, seriously? Yeah. Seriously? Budget Sinestro is a major character? Nope. I can't think of anyone else new who appeared in this episode. Let's, uh, let's jump in. Is this like Evil John? Is Evil John gonna be a character? Uh, that's closer. Is Clone John? Is this Clone John? This is not Clone John. Okay. So, I don't normally like plots like this because this is kind of a stock plot, but I feel like they did a pretty good job with it. Yeah, I think that this goes beyond the characters are driven to madness plot, and it really digs into some emotional cores for the characters. Okay, wow, I did not get that at all. I th- This this episode just read as way more comedic to me than I think you're putting out there. I... Oh, so that's really funny because I've always thought of this episode as comedic, but this time through I was like, damn, this is really showing that these characters know what to say to hurt each other now. Do they? Oh, yeah. Because I don't remember anyone talking about Dargo's stupid kid he cares so much about, apparently. <laughs> that's true. Nobody nobody talks about Dargo's kid. That That's accurate. And Zan basically spends the episode jerking it, which is kind of par for course for Zan. But. Eh, that's Zan. Yep. Yep. Uh, this episode was directed by Ian Watson and written by Justin Manju, both. Standbys of uh, Farscape. Yeah. So, which makes sense because this is a an important episode. Uh, it opens up, as many episodes do, right in the middle of things, talking about this new person that they've just brought on board, Traltix. Just hitting all the alien cliches name-wise there. Has an apostrophe, lots of X's. Okay, so I, I wasn't going to say this until we got to the point, mm-hmm. but later on in the episode when John is talking about Traltix and he spells out his name and he spells it T-apostrophe-R-A-L-T-I-X-X, mm-hmm. we accept that that's canon, but John has no way to know that that's how it's spelled. John's never seen it written. Lots of letters from the ass end of the internet. John's just assuming there are two X's on the end. What makes him think that? Alphabet, not internet, but you get my point. Yes. It just, it reminds me of, uh, I forget where it's from. It's from some Green Lantern comic where uh, I think it might be Injustice, where mm-hmm. they're they're teaming up with the Yellow Lanterns and Guy Gardner's like, we can't seriously be working with them. They're obviously going to turn on us. They're obviously evil. That guy's name has the word kill in it. <laughs> it literally has the word kill in it. Well, it's like uh, Mantar before. It's literally Ratman backwards. So, so uh, this guy has been brought onto the ship because... What's he doing? Like, he's building shields or something? He's or... going to install a cloaking device on Moya. Mm. And John is like, I'm sorry, do you not have disreputable car repairmen out here in the Uncharted Territories? This is a terrible idea. Obvious scam. Exactly. Meanwhile, Chiana comes back from the planet and lets us know that the only thing that they were able to buy food-wise were Thousands of dried food rectangles. 
or crackers. Yep. I'm assuming that they are more nutritious than crackers because otherwise I think everyone would have died of space scurvy by this point. Because, I mean, they've been eating food cubes and these are just the flat version of food cubes, right? I mean, I have to assume that's right. They are saltines, though. Like, in actuality, what we see are saltines. And just so that you understand, for the rest of the episode, people are just munching on saltines all day long. Mm. To be a real dehydrated episode. Yeah, it really is. I'm surprised more people didn't go shirtless then. And by more people, I mean the two people who aren't covered in heavy makeup. Hmm. If you're dehydrated anyway. You may as well. Yeah. It's a good point. So the reason Chiana was only able to get the crackers and not, like, good food was because there were wanted beacons on the planet, so... Which is also why they're looking for more shielding, because Scorpius is... <laughs> Scorpius is taking uh, pages from Crace's playbook and sending, you know, wanted beacons out. Hopefully that say don't kill because, you know, he needs John's squishy human brain intact to suck out the delicious wormhole knowledge. Yes, he does. Aaron is thinking that if Crace had a secret message in the beacon, maybe Scorpius does too. So she's trying to hack into the beacon and see if she can find a secret message. Why? I mean, it's not like... She just ignored the secret message they got from Crace, which was, you know, Hey, everything will be uh, forgiven. Wink. We definitely won't execute you if you decide to defect and come back to us. Wink. I mean, that's a strong point. You make a strong point. Um, it might say, I have literally no idea what Scorpius might have to say that would be of interest to them. I, I, you're right. I'm not trying to pick this apart. It's just my natural state. I'm like a vulture or some sort of more flattering bird that picks things apart. I guess all birds do that. But like a carrion bird specifically. But in a flattering way. Like a raven. The prettiest of carrion birds. Exactly. What do ravens travel in groups of? Because I know crows are a murder. Or do ravens just not travel in groups? I think ravens are a parliament. Ooh, I know owls are a parliament. Oh, you're right. Owls are a parliament. I mean, it could also be ravens. I mean, I don't think every single thing needs its own distinct group of things to travel in. I'm sure lots of things travel in, for example, herds. I'm sure people are shouting at us what a, what the collective noun for a raven is, but... A depression. A rookery. Ooh. So, John is throwing a big temper tantrum because he thinks that the really obviously evil guy who looks super evil and has an evil name... Is probably evil. I mean, Traltix literally looks like Sinestro from Green Lantern. Yeah. Like a gross... Like a grosser Sinestro. Like if Sinestro wasn't written by Tennessee Williams, which I know he wasn't, but... I feel like Sinestro has a kind of Tennessee Williams vibe about him. This is like if Sinestro got in that fly machine from the Jeff Goldblum fly movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that they're moving into a more... I, I keep going back to Tennessee Williams' direction with uh, Sinestro. There's a new book that implies... It's an alternate universe book, so they can do it. But it impl implies that he and Hal Jordan used to uh, date. Oh. So... That's interesting. Or at least there was a 
different layer to their relationship before he, you know, became evil because for crying out loud, his name is Sinestro. It's like Maleficent, you know, you name your kid that you're setting them up. Yeah. There's only, there's only so many places they can go. Which is why the new movies don't work. Oh, what's the obvious name for a guardian of nature? Maleficent. But see, I like how this seems like it's setting up a thing where, you know, subversion Oh, the obviously evil-looking alien isn't evil, but nope. Nope, nope. Uh, Valtrex or whatever is... Traltix. Traltix is a creepy-looking dude, and it turns out that he's evil as balls. Yeah, yeah. He has installed the cloaking device onto John's module, onto the Farscape 1, to show how it works. And he tells John, and this is important... Not to leave it on for more than 10 seconds or it might explode. Hmm. Yep. And it works. It makes everything disappear for 10 seconds. It's all very exciting. Except for Erin, who just keeps (laughs) eating her saltines. Me? Seen by other people? That's invisible. I was thinking about how Erin... I mean, she's looking at John, but from our point of view, she looks like she's looking at the camera. And I was just thinking about how Claudia Black's facial expressions were Jim before The Office. Oh, yeah. In a just world, we would have more gifts of those just floating around. Right? We need more of those. Maybe I should, like, finally figure out how to make my own gifts and get online and do that. I've been thinking of... Well, I was thinking about that for, uh, for great news. Oh, yeah. That's a really criminally underwatched show and i can think of a lot of things that would make great gifts from that show that show is massively underrated i think it's still on netflix you can check it out if you have netflix and are you know fond of tina fey's style of broad absurdist sitcom yeah I, i know magical realism is mostly a thing in the work of spanish authors i feel like that's sort of the purview it falls under so she has whatever the white lady version of magical realism is i think of her shows more as being almost live action cartoons Mm. well that's because her husband scores them yeah they do have a very cartoony score that's true i forget who said it it was on another podcast i listened to because you know it's all just podcasts talking about podcasts sure podcasts all the way down he was talking about how he really wanted to be uh, whoever was talking about this was talking about how he really wanted to watch 30 rock but the score was too overbearing for him. And he's like, it just kept taking me out of the, it kept taking me out of the moment because the score is just like a circus is attacking you. Oh, that's interesting because I don't usually pay a lot of attention to the score of a show, but I find it really mood setting on 30 Rock. Just the fact that all of Jenna's music is just different covers of Muffin Top. So when Muffin Top is introduced, it is, but before, the very first time we see Jenna, she's doing a sketch that's, I forget the name, we only ever see it twice in the show, I think. It's like... Is it Pam the Overly Confident, Morbidly Obese Woman? Yeah. And the theme song from that sketch, which is the first thing we see Jenna do, is Jenna's music for the longest time before they introduce the song Muffin Top. (laughs) 
feel like that comes in pretty early, though. I mean, it would it would just be for, like, the first season or so. I still feel like they sprinkle it in. It's just now they also have Muffin Top. I just, I love the uh, dramatic version of Muffin Top that plays. <laughs> During her uh, obituary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or whenever she's doing anything sinister, the sinister cover of Muffin Top. Uh. Honestly, the music in that show is really well done. I thought I would like the Mean Girls musical better because of that, but... I tried listening to the soundtrack once, and I'm like, this is just not very good. It reads kind of like a parody of musicals, you know? Mm. I've only watched a couple of songs from it on YouTube, and I liked the ones I saw. So, I don't know. Maybe I need to give it another shot. There are things that I've enjoyed way more when I go back to them. I mean, we were going to go see it when it came to the Keller. A million years ago. Yeah, that got canceled. Ugh. Anyway, crackers don't matter. Yes. John is talking to Pilot about how he does not trust Traltix. And weirdly, his brief stint into Invisible Land did not convince him that this guy is, you know, le good. Yeah. And he basically tells Pilot, look, I don't trust this guy, but since this might be our only plan, I guess... That's what we do. It's a risk-reward scenario. Is it? Is it? I mean, you've made it pretty far without being invisible up to this point. I I feel like this might not be the game-changer you think it is. That's a strong point, actually. And I want to point something out here. Mm-hmm. John is having this conversation with Pilot because Pilot wants John's opinion about whether or not they should go to Traltix's planet. They have to fly through these giant pulsar stars to get to his planet. Mm. And Moya is concerned about doing that, so Pilot is concerned about doing that. So Pilot is asking for John's take on this. And when John says, no, I don't trust Traltix, but risk-reward, we should try it, Pilot goes with that, and Pilot goes towards the planet. Hmm. I think this is important because later on, when they are all at the height of their paranoia and sniping at each other, they all talk about John the way they did in the first few episodes of the series, as completely worthless and not able to do anything. Even though this scene shows that we've turned the corner on John, John has become the character that a lot of people go to for leadership. Even though this episode is also going to have the characters emphasizing how little they think of his competence. To be fair, he's on a, what's the opposite of a hot streak? Like, he's been, he's been messing up not infrequently in season two. A cold streak? Yes, that would make sense. I mean, I guess he didn't, I mean, last episode he was awful for no reason. And the episode before that, where he was like, no, Darko, don't have sex with that old lady. I mean, yes, it turned out going wrong, but... Eh. You're right, John has definitely been off of his game. Seriously, is this like a clone John situation? Is, does John have brain worms or something? Or something. Okay. But I'm surprised how much everyone else is willing to trust... No eyes, Von Evil face. Traltix. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You would think that 
they would be less trusting. They're from here. They know how untrustworthy everyone in the Uncharted Territories are. So he's sitting around being classist. He's talking about, like, lesser species. and Because they're flying through the pulsar light, and he warns them that it can make people a little weird. It can put you off a little bit, but only, only lesser species. If you... Dear Lord, it's an emperor's new clothes. It's an emperor's new clothes situation. Yeah, he's like, as long as you're from superior stock, you'll be able to go through these pulsars with no psychological effects whatsoever. Which, okay, an issue I have recently had, I've, you know, because of the baby, I've been revisiting a bunch of fairy tales and folk stuff. Sure, sure. And... A bunch of stuff is hitting me for the first time, mostly when revisiting The Emperor's New Clothes. So he was okay with uncultured people seeing his dick. Like, I mean, even by the rules that were established by the uh, tricky guy or whatever. The The tricky tailor? Yeah. Like, even by those standards, the vast majority of people would be seeing his junk just all the time. I, I somehow, okay... Not to get into it, Mm -hmm. but I feel like a politically powerful man not minding showing off his dick is not the plot (laughs) hole you're making it out to be. So we're just running off the idea that the emperor has a good dick then. Do you think that cases of... Okay, I'm just going to put the... I'm going to phrase this like this. Okay. I believe that... uh, What's-his-face? Roger Ailes... Uh huh. I believe that Roger Ailes was okay with showing his dick to select people under select circumstances. I do not believe he would walk around Fox News with his dick hanging out. Interesting. Okay. I think you lose the power dynamic that one gets by whipping out one's junk at people if your junk is just out all the time. Huh. I, I this is... As somebody who has never had the urge to flash my junk at anyone without invitation, I'm, I'm, and I, I not that you have, not that you have. Yes, but. that's also an <laughs> urge I am unfamiliar with. But it, it's not a mindset I'm familiar with, so that's not an, a thing I had thought about, but that does sound right to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, most things, I'm assuming it's about power. Right. I mean, of course. And you kind of lose the power if you're power source is out and about i don't i lost track of the metaphor there but my point is maybe you shouldn't look at allegories so hard that wasn't where i started but where i'm ending up is maybe don't cinema send stories that are you know just supposed to impart moral lessons at you although interestingly the moral lesson of the emperor's new clothes is not to think that you're superior to other people but i don't know if the lesson was don't flash your dick at people, that would probably also be a good lesson. <laughs> I think that would arguably be the better lesson. <laughs> okay, wow. so everyone is confident that they are a superior enough race not to go bonkers when the light of craziness shines on them. Not to be ableist, but this is sort of the thing we're dealing with with, uh, you know, television in the 90s. You go back to all the Drusilla stuff from Oof. Buffy and Angel, and you're like, wow, this uh, this depiction of mental health is weird now. 
to be fair, she's also psychic, so maybe it's her being weird because she's psychic. I mean, a lot, it's not, it's, you know. Drusilla's a, and a complicated character that contains some problematic aspects. Yeah. Although, I don't really like what the reboot comics did with her, where they're like, she's just like a mob boss, and they're like, they just sidestep the whole, oh, she's crazy, and that's why she talks all funny and stuff. And I'm like, but she's basically a completely different character if you remove all of, you know. Yeah, if she didn't have the weird affectations and, you know, if she didn't speak all, you know, goth poet-y. Yeah, then she's just a different character. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, she also has Spike going by William in that series. It's really weird because there are things I really like about the reboot Buffy comics. Mm-hmm. Like, she's basically a completely different character, but I like that they have this really nice, really friendly Cordelia because the way popularity works now, you can't be the kind of mean girl she was in the 90s and still be the most popular girl in school. So she's... A nice person instead of, you know, the alpha bitch that she was in. That's interesting. I haven't read any of the reboot comics. And I do like that a Willow came out earlier. Like, she's a, she's a lesbian in high school. I mean, she would be. And she's a lot more confident. And she's also not as close with Xander. And oh. All. Yeah, and the neat thing about the comics is they kind of play with Xander as a more isolated figure. Which is why he... Uh, is less ingratiated with the group and why he ends up spoiler alert for the Buffy comics skip ahead like 15 seconds uh, why he ends up uh, isolated enough uh, so that Drusilla can sink her hooks into him and turn him Mm. I maybe I should read the Buffy comics the reboot we have the first trade it was it was interesting enough like I, I read it and I'm like you're not willing to do the groundwork here, so I feel like the narrative kind of suffers for it. Mm. Like, you're like, I want, like, I feel like the the writer was like, well, I want to do Anya, so we're putting Anya in early. And she's not a vengeance demon anymore. She runs the magic box. And well, I'm then like, what, what are we doing here if she's not a vengeance demon? Yeah, there's a lot of takes on characters I don't get. And, like, Spike's way more of this, like, passive guy because i mean are we just reading a buffy coffee shop au because i i have nothing against that but i feel like you need to put out front that that's what we're doing i mean it is basically what we're doing because you know she and buffy starts out working at the double mate palace in high school and there's just all these things where you're like i get that you want to do stuff from all of buffy i get that you want willow to start doing magic earlier i get that you want this that and the other but you're kind of running into the problem New Charmed ran into, where they're like, we're going to hit all of the story beats from original Charmed mm-hmm. in like one season, and then we don't have anything to do for the second season, so it's basically going to be a whole new show that everyone hates. What's interesting is Ultimate Spider-Man did the same thing. But good. But it worked really well. I mean, like, the Ultimate Clone Saga is legitimately one of the strongest Spider-Man stories out there. Oh, God. And the death of the, the, the death of Ultimate Spider-Man is crushing. It's so good. Although maybe that's the answer, right? Ultimate Spider-Man dealt with the fact that they had run through all of the Spider-Man stories By killing off Peter, bringing in Miles, and just having an entirely new story. Yeah. 
Plus, I really like their take on Jessica Drew. No offense to, like, main Marvel Universe Jessica Drew, but <laughs> having her as, like, you know, a different gender clone of Peter was interesting. Main, main Universe Jessica Drew is kind of all over the place. Of all of the Ultimate titles that they came out with, I think Ultimate Spider-Man kind of did what they were trying to do the best. Yeah, and... Spider-Man, at the point that the Ultimates came out, was unreadable. And, I mean, I you can't under-appreciate Brian Michael Bendis for that. People, people say a lot of stuff about Brian Michael Bendis, and that some of it's fair, a lot of it's not. But Spider-Man is, like, aggressively that dude's Ballywick, mm-hmm. and you can see that in Ultimate Spider-Man. You're like, this guy... I mean, I think the main problem is he's really, really, really good at writing this one character. And they're like, oh, you're really good at writing this one character. We're going to give you access to everyone. And then, you know, he's writing everyone like they're Spider-Man, which, but Farscape. So John goes down into the dining room and Chiana is there munching on her saltines. Mm-hmm. She's all like, om nom nom, I got these uh, food squares, so I'm going to eat as many of them as possible. <laughs> John's like, stop eating all the food squares. None of us will have food squares to eat if you eat all the food squares. She's like, I bought literally thousands of crackers. There are thousands of crackers. The camera even kind of pans back so that we can see all of the sleeves of crackers sitting on the table. Anyway, John, you'll have plenty of crackers. She's just cookie monstering them. Gross. (laughs) Gross. Anyway, then Dargo comes in, and the camera goes all Dutch angle, so we know that the light's starting to affect people. Mm. And Chiana's like, John thinks I'm eating too many crackers. And Dargo's like, are you? Are you eating all the crackers? So, John goes over and starts talking to Rigel, and he's like, I don't trust this creepy guy who's talking about light that makes you crazy. And Rigel's like... Well, maybe the light's making you crazy because you're a lower being. And John's like, why do I talk to you? And John, okay, look, I know John is being affected by the light too, but what he does here is such shit stirring that I'm like, wait, are you being affected by the light right now? Or are you just being a shit stir? Because he tells Rigel, hey, um, you should go down to the dining room because I think Chiana's eating all the food. Like, you know what you're doing, John. Yeah, he's like, you better go get some food before Chiana eats all of it. And Rigel's like, then I can eat like Cookie Monster. Well, it makes sense for Rigel because he is a puppet. Yeah. So Zan and Aaron are talking and Zan's like, hey, Aaron, why are you looking for another message? What possible use could you have for another message? What would it tell you? What is the point of this? And Aaron's like, I don't know. It could be useful. And Zan's like. Hey, 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 shut up. Like, I mean, this is the same point you brought up. What could he say? Yeah. And Zan's like, look, if you want to waste your time, go ahead and waste your time. But I feel like you should know this is a giant waste of time. I'm going to go to my room and masturbate for the next seven hours. Uh, Zan's fear is that, or well, her stated fear is that there will be a message from Scorpius saying that Aaron can get a pardon if she turns everyone else over, and that Aaron will do that. I she, lo- she didn't do it the first time. Why didn't she do it this time? Right? I do love John calls on the comm and asks Zan where she is, and Zan says, 
I'm in the maintenance bay about to have a fight with Aaron. I think we've established I think evil Zan is my favorite Zan as opposed to pretending that she's good Zan. But John tells Zan uh, she needs to come up and babysit Traltix because he's tired of doing it and Zan's the one who brought him on board in the first place. Which I don't I don't think we established who brought Traltix on board, just that John was against it. Hmm. But I guess it was Zan. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Rigel has run down to the cafetorium or wherever they're storing the uh, food crackers. And he's all like, <laughs> and Dargo comes and he's like, okay, guess I'm going to have to rip you in half and get our food back. Okay, it's kind of horrifying. Dargo, like, holds him down and starts shoving crackers in his mouth. He's like, if you want crackers, I'll give you crackers and it's it's disturbing i i mean you know dargo's a giant warrior guy and rigel's a teeny tiny two foot tall puppet it's 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 messed up yes yeah, it's, it's pretty messed up but dargo decides that he's had enough shoving crackers into Rigel's mouth and storms off. In a brief moment of lucidity, he decides not to kill Rigel and runs out of the room. Is it lucidity? Isn't killing Rigel basically just common sense at this point? Oh, I mean, maybe. So they're officially balls deep in the pulsar light and Zan's lying on her golden masturbation couch and like... She's uh, she's Meg Ryan in that one scene from that Meg Ryan movie. When Harry met Sally? Yeah. Yeah, except she's not faking it like Meg Ryan is in the deli. Yeah. But yes, we will all have what she's having. You know, an orgasm. Traltix calls to Pilot and is like, um, is Zan okay? And Pilot says, she's a plant. Just put her in the light and watch her smile. Gross. Yeah. Then I kind of love the way this goes down. Traltix is like, hey, pilot, can I ask you a question? Do you hate everyone on board? And pilot's like, you know what? I never really thought about it before, but I do hate everyone on board. Weird. Weird how I didn't, you know, realize how much I hate literally everyone on this ship. I love how Moya's just like, I'm assuming conscious of this, but deciding not to interfere because eh. I mean, Moya doesn't care who she's carrying. It's it's no skin off her hull. At one point, she was willing to sacrifice her baby for everyone on this, uh, you know, everyone inside her. And now she's like, eh. I mean, I guess the real question is, does the light affect Moya? I would think, if anything, it would affect her more. Because she's getting more of it. Yeah, exactly. So... Okay, down in the maintenance bay, now Chiana is fighting with Aaron. Chiana wants to see the beacon, and Aaron is like, back off, I'm trying to hack this. And Chiana is so upset that Aaron won't let her see the beacon. So then John comes down and is like, show her the frickin' beacon. And Chiana's like, wait, why do you want me to watch the beacon? It's your, it's your classic, it's your classic paranoid about face. Okay, so the reason I like this episode more than I generally like Paranoia episodes is that it's played, I think, a lot more for comedy. Yeah, it definitely is. And dear God, Ben Browder must have been picking pieces of the scenery out of his teeth in between scenes, because dear Lord. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, John is chewing on the scenery for sure. Although he's not going to be alone in that. Yes. Also, so many Dutch angles. It's like we're watching um that movie where John Travolta yelled a lot. Battlefield Earth? Thank you. Yes. But it's not just a Dutch angle. It's like it moves. It's yeah. like the camera doesn't stop doing this lolling back and forth thing from the time they enter range of the pulsars till the end of the episode. Yeah. It's like uh, those Viking ship rides at a... At amusement parks, yeah. Could it's never do those. Just back and forth. It's like just begging to vomit those rides. Yeah. Although I think that this episode does a good job of doing that lulling camera move without causing motion sickness in the viewer. Because I feel like sometimes when things are shot like this, it can do that. Yeah, I was worried because, like, in the Brain Cricket episode, mm-hmm. like, the things they were doing with the light, I I literally could not keep my eyes on the screen. It made me feel physically ill, but I didn't get that so much with, uh... I remembered how that happened to you during a human reaction, and I was thinking it's almost like they've evolved and they figured out how to do those camera moves without making it nauseating. So everyone's kind of paired off a little bit. Uh, Dargo in what I think is really the first, like, more solid example of setting up his relationship with Chiana is, like, he chucks Chiana under the chin. He's like, come on, Chiana, let's leave these two people who don't have to wear two tons of makeup alone. And Aaron's like, come on, John, let's get ready to murder everyone who's not, you know. Sebastian looking? Yes. And then we see a Sinestro-esque dude crawling up the walls and murdering a DRD because unless you're Chiana last episode, killing a DRD is how you know you're a bad person. Yeah, uh, he doesn't just kill a DRD. He has these like weird eyes made out of light that appear on his head and optic blast the DRD. We go to commercial after that now that we know that Traltix is evil. In case you were unaware previously that Traltix is evil. And when we come back from commercial, John is shouting at him about how the pulsars are definitely affecting everyone. And he's like, why aren't they affecting you? And Traltix? Traltix is like, oh, it must be because I'm blind. And John's like, didn't you go on a whole tear earlier this episode about how they only affect lower species? Why would your blindness affect that at all? Are higher species the ones that can't see? And Traltix is like, John, that was like 10 minutes ago. This is the thing now. We just need to get through the light. And then all you need to do is not kill your friends for another 20 minutes or so. And then everything will be fine. You can trust me. Traltex does the thing that con men do where he's like, well, if you need me to turn around, I guess I can turn around. But John knows that they're more than halfway through the pulsar. So they better just go straight. And meanwhile, Zan is in the room and she's like, Let's just go in circles over and over in the light. Oh, Zan. It's weird that they played a little bit with her being paranoid, but now she's just orgasming all the time. Yep. Yep. So, Aaron is hunting Rigel for sport or possibly for fun. I mean, you know, six of one. She finds him hiding in the ductwork, and he thinks that she's going to kill him, finish the job that Dargo started, and Aaron's like, nope, I need your help, because 
We're pairing off, and I guess I'm going to pair off with you. John scampered off somewhere, so now I need someone else to team up with. And I mean, you're basically the only person left, unless I can find Stark, who I'm assuming is, I don't know, sitting in another part of this massive ship, just playing his space Game Boy or whatever. She also says, you know, she can trust Rigel because, you know, he's tiny. If she needs to, she can she can just step on him. She can, she can just flush him down the space toilet. <laughs> exactly. So. Oh, God, that's the one thing you don't. I'm, I'm normally, normally it's one of the things where you're just like accepting, you know, you don't see bathrooms and TV shows. But you have to think that's a weird thing if you're in a living ship. Oh, Okay, not thinking about that anymore. It's a TV show. No one goes to the bathroom. That's true. That's true. So, Dargo and Chiana in another hallway are trying to figure out what to do since everyone's against them now. Zan comes up and they're convinced that Zan is working with Crichton. So, Dargo uses his tongue to knock her out. Okay, not not to put on my Johnny Pedantic pants for the possibly 11 millionth time this episode but shouldn't that not work on her because she's a plant nah works I mean, on her because she has she must have some sort of nervous system similar to a human nervous system because she is bipedal and walks around and talks to us and feels pain and stuff yeah so whatever nerve that works on she must have mm. it just seems weird that that would be honestly effective on as many creatures as it's effective on hmm. that's a good point but it does work yeah they knock out... Oh, Z- no, what, what, what's she going to do? Orgasm at you? Although, I guess she kills people through sex, so maybe a constantly <laughs> orgasming Zan is not what you want around. Right? But they knock out Zan because they're convinced she's working with John. John, meanwhile, is down in Pilot's Bay getting, like, read by Pilot, who's like, humans are so stupid. Humans are the <laughs> worst. How do you even, like, walk around without banging into walls all the time? Hey, 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 I appreciate that you've come here to talk to me, but you are a filthy garbage ape, and you are lucky that you escaped your filthy garbage ape planet, which is full of, might I, you know, again remind you, filthy garbage apes. You are so much lower than every creature on the ship, all of which, by the way, are deeply below me and Moya, and, you know... Now that I think about it, you are just so fortunate to have my mercy because otherwise I'd just tell Moya to, you know, barf you all into space and be done with it. But luckily, I am a higher, more evolved being, so I, I'm i taking pity on you, you filthy garbage ape. John is like, I told you to run the scan. Just run the scan. And then he, like, jumps behind the console and is like, fine, I'm going to run the scan. And, of course, Pilot just electrocutes him and knocks him back. I do like how this scene really shows how much bigger than uh, John Pilot is. Yeah, the puppet is really large and imposing, and we don't see that very often because, you know, usually we just see him on the clamshell. I love scenes when other people are in Pilot's den so that we can see how massive he is. Hmm. Okay, a little weird thing here. John has the realization that Pilot is being affected by the light, which doesn't make any sense because no part of Pilot is exposed to the light. He's, like, inside of Moya. Yeah, but, I mean, he's connected to Moya. 
right? John reaches the right conclusion for what I feel like is the wrong reason. Pilot's nervous system is connected to Moya's nervous system. He should feel everything Moya feels, so Pilot should be affected by the light just like the rest of them. But John realizes, wait, maybe the pulsars aren't causing the light because Pilot is being affected, and it just so happens that John is right. Mm. But I feel like he didn't get there correctly, but here we are. So John runs to tell everyone what he's realized and instead he comes across Aaron who has taken some of the crackers into the command console to you know keep them safe yes and Aaron's like this is our share of the crackers you can't touch it I I love Claudia Black so much in this episode and John's like I don't care about crackers crackers aren't something I care about he gets so close to doing the titular line here he, he does say it later, but here he's like, I don't even like crackers. I want ice cream. How come there's no ice cream in space? And then he's like, where's my damn ice cream? And Rigel says, I don't know what ice cream. It, it spells- Ice is cream. Ice is cream. And I'm like, is, wouldn't it translate it to something? It's it not probably, a proper noun. It probably didn't translate it because there's no equivalent for- Hynerians. There's no frozen treat in Hyneria. Hynerians have no frozen treats, sadly. Sa- That's why they're all so miserable. <laughs> so, Treltix, meanwhile, is hanging out with Pilot. He's like, hey, Pilot, why don't we make it brighter in here? It's so dark in here. And I really need light to do whatever the crap it is I promised you that I was going to do. Like, build you shields or... Make Moya a pretty hat or whatever. I need light to do that. Give me light. And Pilot's like, uh, fine. Whatever. I hate everyone. I'll, I'll give you light out of spite. Spite light. Spite light. We're actually tapping into Traltix's actual plan now. Hmm. Traltix's deal is that he needs the light for his, for reasons. And the reason he got onto a Leviathan in the first place was so that he could harness Moya's bioluminescence and get, like, just a crap ton of light. So he's just gonna have Pilot turn up the power on Moya's bioluminescence super high and make him, like, super bright. Man, they act like they're interested in uh, building your shields, but all they want is your bioluminescence. So true. So true. Meanwhile, John's like, Hey, Dargo, Chiana, did you kill Zan? And they're like, we didn't kill Zan, but we'll kill you if you keep asking us questions. And he's like, look, I'm Ben Bradder, and I'm not covered in a ton of makeup, so I'm going to be pulling faces. I'm going to be going full Jim Carrey here. You guys don't want to get into an overact off with me. Ever, but especially right now. And he turns and he leaves, and Chiana's like, hey... He didn't care that we knocked out Zan. Maybe they're not working together. You think Chiana's regretting not staying on the suicide drug planet? Uh, yeah, I do. I think she's definitely regretting that. And if not now, in a couple of scenes, definitely. Well, I shouldn't say suicide drug planet. Apathy towards death drug planet. Death wish planet? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not exactly... Suicide, doing dangerous things because you don't care if you die or not isn't exactly suicide. 
I don't think. Yeah, and, and they're much more of like thrill seekers. If we don't risk death, then did we ever truly live kind of guys. So it's not mm. it's not quite the same. Anyway, in command John is going full shinning. Yeah, so well well Aaron is going, as John points out, full lay Miz, building a barricade to block herself in. And John like opens the door a little bit to get his face in there, and he's all like, here's Crichton. Crikey. See, I, I flipped it because yeah, he actually is, is Johnny. John, yeah. yeah. Just like Jack Nicholson was actually John. Oh, yeah. I'm assuming he's one of those people for which Jack is a nickname for Jonathan, which never made any sense, but whatever. It's like Dick being a nickname for Richard, and you're like, really? Yeah, that doesn't make much sense either. I'm sure there's some weird archaic reason for those things, but... Yeah. Maybe it has to do with, like, Cockney rhyming slang. I think it's probably older than that. Mm. Mm. Anyway, John and Aaron are shooting each other with their pulse pistols, and Aaron gets really worked up and accidentally aims her pulse pistol at her own head, and John's like, Look at what you're doing! We all need to get under control here! And Aaron's like, Oh, I had this set to stun! <laughs> Hang on! And then they, you know, start firing at each other again. Okay. All credit to Claudia Black. She is hitting all of the same corners. I don't know. She's She is matching John overacting for overacting. And no offense to Ben Browder, but Claudia Black is a lot better at this than he is. Which is weird, because he does it so much more. Yeah, like... Acting like this is his go-to thing, but getting to see Claudia Black not just trapped in, like, the Aaron stoicness, like, she's doing, she's so funny. She's so funny in this episode. And, God, I wish she had pivoted to comedy after this. Oh, yeah. Well, here's the thing. I don't think you would enjoy Stargate. That's probably fair, yes. But Claudia Black's character in Stargate, you would love. I might need to curate a Stargate watch list where we just watch the really great Valamal Duran episodes. Is she the Anya of... Uh... That's exactly what she is. <laughs> she is the Anya of, of Stargate. Do you, know the de- do you know what the deal with Stargate? Yeah, it's like there are these aliens that possess people and pretend to be gods. Yeah. And, like, they have these things that can go to different worlds, but they're really- The Stargates. The Stargates, but they're really hard to use until later in the show when they become easier to use. Okay, well, that that not so much. Um, the, the alien that is the villain for the majority of the show is, is the Gould, and they're little worms that, like, take you over. Crawl over, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Claudia Black's character- was one of the Gaul, and she was like an evil ruler of this planet and then she was saved so you know the worm got taken out and now she is herself again but of course there was this planet where she was the evil ruler she's pretty amazing in that show and then of course she teams up with stargate one and there's the whole like Having to pretend to be human, even though she's an alien thing. She's very Anya, actually, yes. Hmm. 
So, did you watch the cartoon? I know there was a Stargate cartoon. No, I never watched the cartoon. I... You didn't want to see what their equivalent of giant Spock was? I mean, I have no issues with the fact that there was a cartoon, but I, I don't even know where it aired that I could have watched it. Okay, so I found out. I don't know if it... I don't think it ever aired in America. But do you remember the movie Evolution? Yes. With uh, David Duchovny and... Um, Orlando Jones. Right, with cyanide, the human poison. Wait, no, I'm sorry, arsenic. Arsenic is the human poison. Yes, the one human poison. Yes. Like, but, I mean, that, it's like a tongue-in-cheek alien invasion comedy? Yeah, comedy. Right, it was trying to be Ghostbusters, but with aliens instead of ghosts. And I I enjoyed it at the time. I never really had an urge to rewatch it, but I thought it was pretty good. They made a cartoon out of it. I mean, that makes sense. They did the real Ghostbusters. Yeah. And it ran for a while, apparently. I I discovered it during a Wikipedia binge a while ago. Sure, sure. But, like, they had a long-running cartoon for kids that was, you know, very for kids out of this premise. I'm like, it wasn't really... I mean, I know they had a RoboCop cartoon. They had a Little Shop of Horrors cartoon. They had a Little Shop of Horrors cartoon, which... Oh my god, did they have no budget for, like, I... Oh, the animation on the Little Shop of Horrors cartoon is terrible. Like, I looked up a clip on YouTube, and I'm like, this makes uh, those old, uh, oh my god, I'm... Funimation? No, no, this is UPA, I think. The people who did, like, Rocky and Bullwinkle-esque stuff. Okay. It makes that look high budget. Like, I used to watch, I, I actually watched the Little Shop of Horrors cartoon, like, on Saturday mornings as a child before I'd ever seen the oh my God, I'm so sorry. Little Shop of Horrors movie. I'm so sorry. that. How does that affect your read of the... I it, They're so different universes, it's not even, yeah, you can't even, it doesn't affect it. Like, I just watched the intro when I found out there was a cartoon. I didn't want, I've never seen any episodes of the cartoon, but I just watched the intro and I'm like, the intro is where you put your high quality animation. Oh. But, I it's, it's a creepy premise too. It's like, they're all kids. Yeah. It's, look, it's baby Audrey who's in a baby abusive relationship with the baby dentist. Well, Okay. The dentist, Oren, is the bully, but he's not... Audrey's character was basically completely rewritten to make her a child. Like, there's no way to do that character. Her defining trait in the cartoon is that she wants to be a firefighter. That's really weird. (laughs) Because... No, 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 no. Oh, Because in the Evolution cartoon, that was the Sean William Scott character's motivation. What?! Yeah. To be fair, it was also his motivation in the movie, but they also, they made him a kid for the cartoon, and he wanted to be a firefighter. That's so weird. Was that just a thing? Is that the go-to thing when you can't translate a character to a different... Although, again, I think that was his motivation in the movie. That's why they had the fire truck at the end, I think. I don't, I don't remember the movie that well. Yeah, I just remember he, he was like a gopher on a golf course or something, and they got really excited when the aliens started killing all the rich people. Well, what I remember is that when I was a child, 
I asked my mother if in the movie, because I knew the movie had them as adults, not children. I asked my mother if in the movie Audrey was a firefighter, since the whole thing was that she wanted to be one. And my mom was like, no. And then in retrospect, once I saw the movie, I was like, she must have been thinking so hard. How do I answer this question? God. I wonder about people who like, or like like kids who saw the Rambo cartoon and then later saw Rambo or the RoboCop cartoon and then saw RoboCop because they, I, I guess it's a good thing that they don't do this anymore. But there was just a time period where you took these very violent movies for adults and made kid versions of them. Actually, you know which one messed me up more than anything was Beetlejuice. Because I watched the hell out of the Beetlejuice cartoon. And in that cartoon, Beetlejuice is a much more benevolent figure than in the movie. Yeah, he and Lydia are BFF. He's not trying to, you know, child marry her. Yeah, so then watching the movie for the first time and having him be the villain, I was like, wait, what's happening? I mean, the the main characters aren't even in the... uh... Yeah, no. They're not even in the cartoon, are they? They're not. No, it's Lydia and her parents and Beetlejuice. I mean, that is sort of a thing with adaptations of Beetlejuice. I haven't seen the show, so I can't say it for sure, but I've been listening to stuff from the Beetlejuice soundtrack, which I... The musical. The musical, which I've been enjoying, but they also... I mean, they don't go as far as the cartoon. Like, Beetlejuice is still a malevolent figure, but he's more of a... uh... Well, the musical has a wildly different story. Yeah. What I think is interesting about the cartoon is its staying power. Even though the movie itself is so iconic, the cartoon has this, like, really intense staying power. Like, nobody nobody else remembers the Little Shop of Horrors cartoon. No. But, like, I will see people in my cross-stitch group doing Beetlejuice cross-stitches that are taken from the movie... But then they take that intro from the cartoon that, though I know I should be wary, still I venture someplace scary. Yeah. Ghostly haunting I turn loose. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. That's from the cartoon. And I still see people like cross-stitching that onto a, you know, movie style sampler. Well, they had a really good visual design for the cartoon too. Like That's true. Like Lydia's outfit, I can see lots of people wanting to. Oh, and I see people cosplaying that. Yeah. Yeah. She's got that kind of poncho right like a it's like a spider web poncho yeah and it's red in a way that like calls back to the wedding dress that she wears in the movie but is much easier to recreate Mm. yeah lydia's outfit in the cartoon is both super iconic and super easy to recreate so it's like you're just hitting everything it's like cosplay sweet spot All right, so we have gone on a wild tangent right before a very important part of Crackers Don't Matter. All right. John is in the maintenance bay looking at the beacon of Scorpius, and it begins to talk to him. Yes, and he starts seeing Scorpius scorping at him. Scorp's gonna scorp. Scorp's gonna scorp. In fact, the beacon stops being a hologram and becomes solid and steps down and starts talking to John. He's all, hey, I'm not also the voice of a puppet on this ship. If I'm going to be in an episode, I need to actually appear. So, you know, it's me. It's me, Scorpius. Back in command. I'm sorry, just just not to go off on another tangent immediately, but just a little thing. 
Yeah. How weird is it that Mario is like this, like, I would imagine deeply offensive Italian stereotype that everyone just is cool with? Well, I mean, it's Italians. We're fine. It's fine. We're far enough removed from anti-Italian prejudice to, uh... Yeah, basically. For everyone to accept Mario, the, uh, you know, the mustache-having, pasta-loving guy who talks like that. Okay, so first of all, we never see Mario eat pasta, to my knowledge. Ah, so someone does not remember the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Okay, actually, I knew you were going to bring up the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. But that was forever ago, to be fair. This is a weird episode where we're talking a lot about children adaptations of things. Yeah, although to be fair, Mario started off as a kid's thing, so. Yes, I just, that would be more appropriate when we get to the episode of Farscape that does the Chuck Jones inspired cartoons. But no, no, right now we're talking about it. Yes. Uh, I, it just kind of reminds me of reading early X-Men comics because Banshee shows up as a villain at first mm-hmm. and he's drawn really weird. And I, I did a little research and it turns out he's drawn to look like Irish stereotypes, but it's like really weird anti-Irish cartoons that drew them a certain way. Sure. That drew Irish people in this very odd way that it was so detached where I'm like, what's supposed to be wrong with him? And then I and then I looked into it. And I'm like, oh, this is based off of old anti-Irish political cartoons. What a weird thing to have in like a late 60s comic that feels like it's too late for anti-Irish stuff. The past is a foreign country. Mm. It's so close, but so foreign. And then, you know, when they did the giant size all new X-Men and they brought Banshee back, he looked like a regular human dude. Weird. That is weird. I mean, I'm glad they didn't keep drawing him like a... It's weird. He has like these high jowls and this kind of like flat button nose. And you're like... Huh. Yeah. You're like, something's weird about this, but it's hard to put my finger... Like, I... I it, well, because it's you... obviously offensive, but I don't know what they're going for. I mean, that makes sense. Like, we would not be familiar with anti-Irish iconography here in the 2020s. Back on command, Aaron is... Honestly, it's very reminiscent of the first episode where Dargo was just ripping stuff out of the console. She's just ripping stuff out, trying to take control of Moya. So... John is wandering through the hallways and Hallucination Nation is following him around being like, hey, remember when you were 12 and that kid was like kind of a jerk to you? So you set his house on fire and watched his family burn to death. Isn't revenge fun? Don't you want to take revenge on people? Revenge! Yay! Yeah, Scorpius is like, let's go kill everyone. Meanwhile... Fake Sinestra's like, light, I need more light. More light! Yes. I feel like I've been overdoing the blah, 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 blahs this episode, but it is a very blah, 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 blah episode. Well, I, it's just an episode where things just get ratcheted up and up and up, but, you know, you get the gist. Yep, he needs more light, and Pilot's like, that seems like a bad idea. Moya only has so much light, and she'll probably, like, die or whatever if 
we run out of light. And uh, Fix and Esther's like, yeah, but on the other hand, more light, more, more light. And Pilot's like, eh, okay. Eh, eh. <laughs> so in the hallway, John runs into Dargo and he has the drop on him. So he tells Dargo to drop his Qualta blade. He calls him. Oh, mid- no, what's he going to do? Nothing. Yeah, well, Dargo does put his blade down. John calls Dargo Medusa because he's got the thing. Okay, Dargo gets called Medusa and Hairball in this episode, neither of which seem like fitting nicknames for him. Okay, Medusa because he's got the hair tentacles and Hairball because that's what Han Solo calls Chewbacca. Yes. Those are both fine. He, uh. he also gets called Grizzly Adams. That one seems not great either. I'm just saying all of these are kind of stretches. I mean, I, he should have called him, uh, you know, Jabba the Hutt's personal assistant's name. I'm sure people who really like Star Wars are angry that I don't know what his name is. Or he could have called him a Twi'lek. They have, they have head tentacles. They do have head tentacles. I'm sorry. I Just another really brief, really brief divergence. Yes. Okay, so there was this card set that came out a few years ago. God, like 20 years ago, a while ago, before the prequels. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a Women of Star Wars card set. Was it like three cards? Yes, that was the issue. Because, you know, there are 52 cards and there are only three women in Star Wars. We've got Leia, you've got Mon Mothma. Mm-hmm. You've got the Twi'lek Dancer Slave Girl. Yes, and you have Aunt Beru. So it's it was basically like, Leia in every outfit she had, and then they're just, like, crowd shots looking desperately for women. Oh, my God. But, yes, it was basically Twilight Dancer, Leia, 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 what's-her-face? Mon Mothma. Mon Mothma and Peru. The one pilot that got cut from the final cut? Yes, the one female pilot that they ended up cutting out of the movie. Uh. Anyway, John's in a standoff with Dargo. Aunt Peru pre and post flaming skeleton. Grim. I'm just saying they were not spoiled for choice. No. Scorpius shows up. Well, I mean, doesn't show up. He's in John's head. But John starts hallucinating Scorpius. So he pulls out a second pulse pistol. And now he's got one on Dargo and one on his hallucination of Scorpius. And Scorpius is like, John, just waste him. And then we can go to a bar and pick up chicks and get margarita shooters. Alrighty then. <laughs> And then John shoots Dargo in the knee. I appreciate that when Dargo crawls off, we see that the blood is dark and not clear. Ooh, someone needs to kick the crap out of him. Yep. I mean, perpetually, but, you know. Hello, editing Tina here. The next scene is super uncomfortable, so I actually wanted to put in a content warning. If you want to skip the discussion about sexual assault in this episode and in pop culture in general... Skip ahead seven minutes and 14 seconds. Uh, Then we see Chiana in the hallway, and there's a super uncomfortable scene where John basically, like... Threatens to rape her? It's really hard to like John after this scene. Mm Mm-hmm. Not to, uh, again, go off on a thing, but there there was a uh, plotline where Wolverine gets uh, captured by the hand and brainwashed into being their assassin. Mm Mm-hmm. And while he's under their control, he has two thought boxes like Deadpool does. One, which is his handler, his hand handler. 
and one that's him. Mm-hmm. And the hand the hand has him take Rachel uh, Summers hostage and then uh, try to use her, get her to hook herself up to Cerebro and use her to kill the president, you know, telepathically. Sure. Which is kind of great because he's like, the reason he, uh, she has to do this is because um, Hydra, not, sorry, the the hand has, pl- has planted a bomb at Xavier's and if, you know, and he has a dead man switch on it. So, you know, sure, sure. if she tries to blast him or anything. And, you know, as soon as she puts on Cerebro, she just hack, uh, she just telepathically hacks into Reed Richards' head, figures out how to defuse the bomb, and does it. <laughs> it's a great scene for her. But throughout the thing, Logan's thought box is talking about how much he wants to just tear off her clothes and have sex with her. Oh. Because she smells like her mom. Oh. And you can be like, okay, it's because he's under thought control, but his hand handler is like, focus, you have a mission to do here. So you're like... That's really gross. I don't get what this comic is trying to do, but... Was that comic... What year was that? It was, like, early 2000s. Like this like this episode. I feel like that was definitely a thing that you probably wouldn't see in an episode today. Yeah, yeah. But I've managed to talk us through the scene where John is threatening to rape Chiana, and then... Yeah, he knocks her out at the end, so thank well... goodness. Well, it's weird because Brain Scorpius is like, yes, you should definitely rape her. And then he's like, no, wait, first you should kill everyone else on the ship and then you should rape her. And John's like, yeah, okay, fair. What the hell, Farscape? So I think that I am giving Farscape maybe too much of the benefit of the doubt. Okay. But John knocks her out and... We're going to see how John is responding later. Like, John is susceptible to the madness of, the, well, not the pulsars. We've been saying the pulsars. It's trial text. Yeah. John is susceptible to the madness, but less so than everyone else. And I almost feel like Scorpius, brain Scorpius, urging him on is what snapped him out of it. And he knocked her out. Mm-hmm. And then... Next time we see her, she's going to be with everyone else that he's knocked out and dragged into the maintenance bay. Yeah. So I, that might be giving Farscape too much credit. I I want to give it credit because I want this scene to not be so uncomfortable. But it, it I mean, it just is. Like, I, we, we should probably put a trigger warning at the beginning of the... Uh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I, I can't ignore problem, the problematic aspects. It's just, it's there. Yeah. I mean... It's the year 1999. It's, yeah, it's whenever you go back to, it's why you can't watch literally any college movies, because for some reason, every college movie has this weird thing with rape. At least, at least here, this is, it's presented as horrifying, as opposed to college movies where it's just the thing that's done. Yeah, like, I mean, I know we've referenced this before in our other podcasts, but it's like a good 30% of Revenge of the Nerds is just sexual assault. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I missed the window on Animal House because you try to watch Animal House now and it's like, hey, look, it's the scene where that dead comedian whose name I don't remember. Uh... J- John Belushi? Yeah, where John Belushi is trying to decide whether or not he should rape an unconscious girl. But it's funny because I don't know why it's supposed to be funny. I mean, that happens in John Hughes movies, too. Well, yeah, and... Was it 16 Candles? What's the one where... Um, yeah, 16 Candles is the one where he 
he gives his he gives his drunk girlfriend to uh, Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah, as a reward for helping him do something. Him being James Spader. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, hey, you can have sex with my drunk girlfriend because you did me a solid. I actually read a really interesting article where Molly Ringwald called up that girl, the girl who, who played that character, and was like, God, that was messed up of John Hughes to write that, wasn't it? And the girl was like, no, no, it's fine. I was just, just the role, whatever, it's fine. And then the next day she calls Molly Ringwald back and is like, yeah, that was messed up. <laughs> but no, there's a, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find that article. I should look for it. There, It was a really great article by Molly Ringwald kind of grappling with the rape culture present in John Hughes movies and, you know, all of pop culture in the 1980s and also the 1980s yeah. and also now yeah. and also, you know. <laughs> Everyone's in hell. God, I think The Breakfast Club's probably like the most safe John Hughes movie. Yes. Because there, there's no uncomfortable racial element because there's only white people in it. And... No one gets raped. Thank Yay! <laughs> I, I, what a low uh, bar. But, you know, there are so many things that can't step over it, so. And yeah. not just John Hughes, it's the thing with movies from the past. I mean, look at every Jim Carrey movie. Look at every comedy from a certain... Comedy does not age well. And I mean, to quote pop arena one of my favorite youtube channels hmm. the past was a mistake yeah i mean george of the jungle a movie for children ends with a guy getting raped you know by a gorilla Oof. yeah i did not know that he tries he's trying to like he tries to kidnap ursula the love interest and marry her but he, the main villain of the movie, but he accidentally marries a female gorilla because it happens in the dark. And then it ends with her dragging him into like a cave or something. It's been a while since I've seen that movie, but I'm like, right, right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Kids movies. I mean, it's a, the past was a mistake. So, Farscape. Let, on... let's, let's stop talking about rape. Let's stop talking about it. So on command, Aaron knocks out Rigel, because, you know, <laughs> Rigel, and... Then we get this... Uh, I feel like it kind of has to happen off screen, because John and Aaron are facing off against each other, they're firing their guns at each other until they're all out of guns, you know, they, they're both, they both went to the Stormtrooper school of shooting at people when they're members of the main cast, and not people you can you know easily off mm -hmm. and then they do a sort of rocky apollo creed fly at each other freeze frame and then we go to commercial and when we come back john has knocked Aaron out and i'm like yeah you had to do that in a commercial because otherwise no one would buy it yes that is true um before we get too far past this scene though i want to talk about Aaron being like Hey, why don't you make another speech, John? That's your thing, right? You make speeches. And also, your dad was a hero, but you haven't done anything worthwhile except 
get lost the first time you ever did an experiment. And it's like, damn, Aaron, you were listening to John when he talked and you know exactly like how to go for the jugular. Although that is sort of ignoring basically everything that happened in season one. I mean, I know she's just trying to get at him, but John has done a lot of stuff since they went into space. John has done a lot of stuff when he went into space, but I feel like him being afraid that he can't live up to his father is definitely true, even if he has already surpassed his father. By a lot. Yeah. That doesn't make that fear go away. And Aaron, like, knows exactly where to dig the knife in. So Head Scorpius also shows up, and now he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. And he's like, let's go get pizza and margarita shooters. This is the most quoted thing from this episode, I think. And John reveals that he's got some deeply held anti-Italian thing. Well, he's previously said that he doesn't like Italian. And he does that thing that used to be super offensive, but again, isn't really anymore, I guess, where he pronounces it. Italian? Yeah, which apparently used to be like a slur thing. This is not a thing I'm aware of. It used to be a thing that you're like not supposed to. You're not supposed to say it like that because it's offensive. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm unfamiliar with this thing. I don't know how true that is. It's something I read a while ago. But what I can tell you is that Scorpius says, "Kill her, and then we'll go get pizza and margarita shooters." And John says, and this is one of the most quoted lines of I think the whole series: "Nobody has margaritas with pizza." I don't think that's true. It's definitely not true. There is a place in town called oh i forget what it's called it had some weird name it was like shooters and ovens mm. and it was specifically margaritas and pizza and i remember when i first saw that i i couldn't help myself i said nobody has margaritas with pizza it is quite the look the uh jimmy buffett meets s&m dungeon it is yeah it is a hawaiian shirt but it's not like a busy pattern it's like really a big cartoon pattern it looks kind of richard scary ish oh yeah i was thinking it looks like the old interstitials from nickelodeon Hmm. the old animated interstitials so john shoots the hallucination and it bursts into a bunch of uh What's his bucket heads? Yeah, Scorpius's head turns into like hundreds of little heads that fly around. And Aaron is like, what is even happening now? And John tells her, I am hallucinating Scorpius. This is not good. And then they do the shoot at each other thing that you alluded to earlier. Yes, they shoot at each other and they all miss. And then they Apollo, Rocky Creed... Commercial break, Aaron is unconscious. Yeah, you're right. That's such a cheat. There's no way John comes out on top on that uh, particular encounter. But he has, and in fact, he has now defeated everyone. He has everyone tied or handcuffed in the dining room. And he has set up giant stacks of crackers behind everyone so that he can, uh, well, so that when he's yelling, he can shoot them. The crackers. Because crackers don't matter. Yes. But he can shoot them for emphasis and then the crackers can rain down on the person he's yelling at. And yes, as you said, he says crackers don't matter. He points out that, like, look, the light shouldn't be affecting pilots, so clearly it's not actually the light. Also, they're past the pulsars now, so it should have stopped, but it hasn't. Yeah. Clearly, the clearly evil guy is evil, so... 
I'm going to go beat the crap out of him until he stops being evil because he will be dead. This is the part I was talking about at the beginning of the episode where he says that obviously the problem is Traltix. T apostrophe R-A-L-T-I-X-X. And as I pointed out, John has no way of knowing there's an apostrophe in that name. He doesn't know it's two X's. He literally wrote it on the door. Yes. Yes, he did. Um, John wrote it, not Traltix. Yes. (laughs) So John's like, since I, apparently I'm the higher being, I'm not being affected as much as you are. So it's up to me to kill him. And, you know, it's a comedic thing because he's, you know, screaming and shooting crackers and, you know, oh, I'm not affected except I am. But, I mean, he is less affected, I guess. And they realize the reason he's less affected is because his senses are less sensitive, which he does not believe that his senses are less sensitive. And everybody points it out to him by reading apparently some text that's written on the basin against the wall that he didn't even see was there. Which we can't see either because we also have inferior human senses. It's like that joke in Futurama about uh, about Amy's naughty tattoo that you wouldn't be able to see on a uh, 21st century television. Yes. Speaking of Claudia Black and how amazing she is, after John shoots the crackers behind her and they rain down on her, when we cut back to her, she's just shouting down on them. <laughs> she's shouting down on, like, the remnants of crackers that fell on her. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> love her so much. She's so great. So, not Sinestro is demanding more light, and Pilot's like, we're about to die, are you sure? And the guy's like, more light, bah. We see a shot of Moya in space, and we see that Moya is, like, glowing. Like, just radiating light now. Which is kind of the opposite of what they hired Traltix to do. Thank you. It's the opposite of being invisible. So John's like, look, the light. There's light coming from in here. Clearly it's the evil guy. I'm going to go murder him and then everything will be fine. Zan, keep having orgasms. And Zan's like, thumbs up. Zan does say, she's like, hey, between orgasms, I noticed that Traltix has like rerouted all the DRDs to turn on Moya's bioluminescence. So, uh... Yeah, maybe it is bad. So since John is slightly less affected by the light, they're going to send him to fight Traltix. But first they have to... Humiliate him as deeply as possible. They have to protect him from the light. So they put this paste on him that will protect him from the heat. Basically, they smear Xanbarf onto him. And then they put a stupid looking hat on him. And then they cover him in dumb blankets. When they put a, they put like black goggles on him, and uh, yeah, they. Aaron gives him a shield made out of a piece of her prowler. Honestly, the look of John like in this ridiculous outfit is another shot from Farscape that you see a lot. Not to keep referencing other things, I know I say it so much, especially this episode, but it kind of reminds me of the outfit. They uh, build for Todd in uh, Todd in the Book of Pure Evil to uh, fight the giant evil penis that turns anyone who looks at it to stone. Oh my. They built him this outfit specifically for fighting it, and it looks kind of like this outfit. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'll show you a picture of it when we're off the air. They also give John the device that turns you invisible hmm. so that he can be invisible when he goes and, and fights Traltix. And we remember that that thing should only be on for 10 seconds, otherwise it will explode. Mm-hmm. 
And Rigel's going to be the one in charge of turning that on, so. Good luck, John. Yeah. I mean, I guess if he explodes near enough the guy, then. Sure. So Invisible John bursts into the room and starts hacking up the cords that Traltix has run around everything to get the light so that he's cutting off his power source. And we see Rigel counting to 10 and then being like, 11, 12, (laughs) and then he turns it off. What a douche. So now John and Traltix are going to fight and it is a ridiculous fight. I didn't watch it growing up, but I got some of it from the cultural zeitgeist or what have you. Feels real Power Rangers-y. Okay, I also didn't watch Power Rangers, but yes, this, I, so the two of us having never watched Power Rangers, this definitely feels like Power Rangers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, John's cutting the weird bio cords that are making the light go into not Sinestro. And not Sinestro has this speechy speech about how he's one of billions and they're all coming for Moya and you you can kill him, but you can't stop the masses that are to come. And John's like, okay, and stabs him. Yeah, John's like, I said we shouldn't bring you on board. This is why people need to listen to me. Yeah. Me, yeah. John. And then he kills him. And that's the end of Traltix. And we'll never see him ever again. We won't. Do we see other people from his uh, species? Nope. Uh, not that I remember. I do just want to throw something out here, though. Mm-hmm. No one else hallucinated. That is true. That we know. But yes, no one else hallucinated. Is it because John has brain worms? He doesn't not have brain worms. <laughs> so now we get basically everybody apologizing because they all acted really, really badly. Everyone but Rigel. Rigel acted badly, but he's not apologizing. No, he's also not accepting Dargo's apology since Dargo, you know, tried to kill him. <laughs> I like that when they're dismantling the barricade that Aaron set up, they're like, this stuff really heavy Aaron how did you move this by yourself and there's really no explanation given well she's like I'm not a giant wiener baby that's how she had paranoia strength I think she had regular strength have you seen uh have you seen Claudia Black's arms they are impressive so yeah everyone apologizes and (laughs) Zan's like I don't remember anything that happened do I did I did I behave poorly and they're like no you mostly just uh you were a little bit of a jerk at the beginning, but then you just sat in the corner and, you know, orgasm. And she's like, yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> I don't remember fighting Traltix. <laughs> that's exactly how it would have gone down. So I forgot to mention it. It's not really a heavy John ass episode. but That's there, true. But there is a shot of it earlier in the episode, which we kind of skipped over. And... These are uh, these are definitely more ass pants than he had before, and he had some pretty ass pants before. Well, these are like leather peacekeeper pants now. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I figured I should comment on it in case it comes up later, but because it feels kind of like the show is pivoting away from doing the you know female gazy thing it was doing for John earlier on in the show. Huh. I guess it does seem like we haven't had that in a few episodes. But. Uh, 
his pants made me think, okay, they're probably going to get back to that at some point. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a, it's a very sexy show. Yeah. It's the show where everyone's falling all over each other all the time. So the episode ends with John saying to Zan, like, how do we deal with all of the bad shit that we did this episode? Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? And I, we usually do this a little later, but I'm going to pivot to the next episode we're doing because I feel like thematically that is exactly where the next episode picks up because the next episode we're going to do is the way we weren't. And the plot description is, okay, I'm going to alter this a little because I don't want to give it away for you, Max, or for our listeners who haven't watched the episode yet. I feel like the Amazon Prime description kind of gives away the game, but all right. Episode five, The Way We Weren't, a found peacekeeper data cam reveals Aaron's past. We could find out that she was a peacekeeper because the, the, the lid's already off that particular pot. Well, we're, we're going to find out some of the terrible stuff she did as a peacekeeper. I wonder whose race she was uh, killing a bunch of. Probably Dargo. Nope, not Dargo. Okay, well, there's only so many options, so... So, so you won't guess anymore? I won't guess anymore, but limited options there. That's, that's accurate. It turns out that she actually went back and she blew up Earth. <laughs> like, she got one shot through the wormhole. <laughs> uh, Earth's gone. Earth, no more Earth. Sorry, John. Now you don't have to worry about feeling inferior to your father anymore. See, she did you a favor. Always a bright side. Or your best friend, who you didn't mention at all in the episode where you you know went back to earth even though it was all in your brain and you could have very easily pulled him uh right does he show up again later or? uh yeah we have another episode back on earth coming up and i'm pretty sure he's in that episode hmm. all right so we should get to our segments yeah so our first segment is a distant part of the universe which is what world building worked for you this episode there was really any i I like that Moya is apparently bioluminescent. I think that's a neat thing, but it's not really world building. I do like bioluminescent uh, organisms. Yeah. yeah. And it works because, you know, space is the ocean basically in this sort of show. So I liked that human senses being weaker than other senses was itself an advantage this episode okay yes you're right i do i do like that and i do like how casually everyone demonstrated it by reading something we the audience couldn't see yes yeah um our second segment is strange alien creatures Hmm. uh which is what creature design what creature design I mean, I guess fake Sinestro. I mean, it wasn't great or anything, but it it read Alien and it was cool enough looking. I mean, fake Sinestro was fine. Yeah, it wasn't really... If anything, I liked glowing Moya more. Like, getting to to see what Moya looks like when she's all illuminated. Yeah, that was was pretty neat. And then our final segment is just looking for a way home, which, what, if anything, emotionally resonated with you? Okay, it didn't emotionally, like, make me sad or anything but i really like when they let claudia black be a comedic actress like her facial expressions in this episode were freaking gold i would love like like you said if they had gifts of them there it's like she was a reaction machine 
Okay, so I'm going to have to go back and watch a bunch more Stargate so I can curate a Valimaldoran playlist for us. All right. And uh, for me, it was also Claudia Black, but it was just the way she was able to know John so well to know what to dig into. I mean, yes. And to be fair, she would have no way of knowing this because she's not from Earth. But I feel like daddy issues are basically the button you can go to when anyone presents themselves as a manly man. You can just go straight for the daddy issues and you'll probably be pretty on the money. That's, you know, that's fair. So I guess that'll do it for us for this week. Yeah, that'll about do it for this week. Our show is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, and Kate. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and it helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter, or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Mm-hmm.